Hey, welcome back to another episode here of Bible with Borda. This week, I am joined by a special guest. Uh, this man's name is Gary Hill. He's been very intricate and uh, kind of the leading person on a new translation of the Bible that, uh, well, I, I guess I'd say new, but uh, it's the Berean Study Bible. I've wanted to get someone on uh, Bible with Borda for a long time to talk about Bible translation and uh, what the process is, what that looks like, and all that good stuff. So, Mr. Gary, how you doing, sir? I am doing well and glad to be here with you. really am. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, I got to say thank you to uh, Aaron Simpkins. You were on the True Strength Life podcast talking with him about the Berean, uh, the Berean Study Bible. And so I was able to listen to that and glean a lot from it. And um how many years would you say you've been into uh, Bible translating and just being a student of the Word? It's been a half a century now, though I hope I don't look that old. <laughs> Whenever you said, did, did you say you were 80? <laughs> or was that a joke? <laughs> no, I, I started okay. when I was 20 and I'm 71 now. Okay, okay. I thought you said 80 at one point during the interview with Aaron, and I was like, there's no way you're 80 years old. Um, I would have guessed maybe 55. So, well, aren't you, aren't you an encourager? <laughs> Absolutely. I, and all the white hairs are just wisdom, right? Yeah, that's it. Oh yeah. You're, you're spot on. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, so one of the questions that, you know, Aaron asked to start out of the gate and I'm going to kind of start with the same question. I'm sure you probably get asked this question a lot. And, uh, and so we have so many translations of the Bible. Uh, what was the, the need for the Berean Study Bible from your perspective? You know, a really pressing one, uh, Jason, and here, and here goes. The, the theory of language and translation shifted roughly uh, with Noam Chomsky bringing in things in the mid-1980s. And it was in favor of what you're familiar with called dynamic equivalence, which has virtues, of course. But up till then, everything had pretty much had been essentially literal. With the proliferation of thought by thought or phrase by phrase translations, instead of formal word by word translations, it opened the door for a lot of um, interpretation in translating the text that wasn't true in decades and centuries before that. So why the Berean? The Berean is committed to staying within the lines of the formidable, well-known, well-respected, essentially literal translations that have had hundreds of translators on them as great classical scholars, but making sure turn by turn it was readable and anticipating where there may be reader confusion. So what Brian did, instead of just hiring a huge team of new translators, it was a very careful following of all of the respected, essentially literal translations, closely compared, and then a go through with the Hebrew and Greek text and another level for style. So in other words, it, it was wanting to preserve and retain the uniform understanding of the text that you find that close understanding, that togetherness, that sameness that you have in essentially literal translations, but with the smoothest style possible for the 21st century reader. So it's really a noble task and um, really glad to have been on it. So what exactly was your role in the process of the uh, of creating the Brain Study Bible? Yes, I was I was the coordinator of the original language experts that would work with the translation committee headed up by John Isaac. And so as we were trying to take another step forward in readability with essentially literal translation without departing from it. I was the one that would be coordinating with experts like uh, Eugene Merrill from Dallas on the Hebrew side or Grant Osborne on the Greek side from Trinity to make sure that whatever stylistic steps we took, it didn't sacrifice 
the accuracy and the consistency, the traditionality of essentially literal translations. Gotcha. So at any point, do you have to come in and make translation calls or are you not that involved in it? Oh, yes. Yes, many times. So do you remember a particular scenario where you had to kind of make a decision on a certain translation? Yes. Um, they're uh, they're kind of like uh, multiplied beyond number, but... <laughs> When you open up a passage, for example, you want to retain as many of the original conjunctions as possible, uh, Jason. And, um, and for that matter, you want to have a clarity with prepositions and other connectors. And so when we went in there, we wanted to have several things at work. We wanted concordancy. So for example, on a particular in Psalm 119, there are seven near synonyms for the divine word. Modern translations will take the same Hebrew word and change it within the psalm. Um, sometimes that can be necessary upon a rare occasion, but um, I would be there to make sure that we would maintain concordancy, uh, not a needless departure from the, 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 the same uh, rendering. So we, we try not to have an overly wide semantic range where you take a word like righteousness there's no reason ever to translate it by anything other than righteousness or the word faith i see no reason why it ever needs to be translated whether it's emunah the hebrew word or pistis the greek word other than faith so i i would be a part of that consultation for concordancy in Psalm 119, keeping the near synonyms for the divine word, like statute, consistent, or judgment, precept. This is uh, very important for accurate Bible reading. So I noticed whenever I was kind of glancing through, so I opened up the uh, the Bible Hub app, which is Bible Hub a partner? What role does Bible Hub have with the Brian Study Bible? It was the sponsor of it. And um, by sponsoring it, it allowed it to remain open source to be shared widely. And um, that, that's one of the functions is that usually when you get a quality translation with a lot of work behind it, it's tied up with legal encumbrances, but not so with the Brian as because it was sponsored by Bible Hub. So in that regard, what exactly does that mean? So I know, for example, uh, I teach through books of the Bible in a Bible study and I write out my Bible study notes. And so with my Bible study notes, sometimes I'll kind of copy and paste straight from like the ESV software, logo software, and I'll put it in there and it automatically stamps on there like a trademark. Um, can, can people get in trouble with other publishers of other translations for copy and pasting? that and does open source mean you can do that how does that work right you know you have you have full liberty with the brian there are there perhaps there are some limitations when it comes to mass printing or something but no the um you can actually get a copy of the brian for your own the entire text and use it freely i mean people give credit of course to the source but no it's um it's meant to go out and not be restricted there's no maximum word count or something. Mm, gotcha. So I think one of my questions, and I know a lot of people are going to have this question as they're listening, is if Bible Hub sponsored like the, the BSB uh, for it to be open source, then where does the, the, the finances come for other translations? And what role do those, the financiers, have in the process of translating yeah good point because um a lot of times significant projects um have a lot of you might say strings attached to publisher or financiers but in neither one in this case the uh it was meant to have a complete missional liberty and um perhaps i'm not understanding fully your question but there's no there's no kind of um backdrop where um, a particular publisher or financier 
stands in the way of the open source mission of Brain Study Bible? I think my question would be is uh, in regards to other translations, and I don't know if you have an answer to this or not. Uh, you may or may not, but so if someone, uh, how much input does a, a, a financer have in how a version of the Bible is translated? Yeah, I, I've had quite a bit of experience with Bible translations through the years, and um, it all depends on what level you're speaking about. Um, I, I think it would be rare for the financial strings to enter in, but okay. where you have a publisher uh, that can reserve the last right, you might say, uh, on something, for example, if they want something to be gender inclusive and they want to get rid of male pronouns, um, you might have a publisher such as NIV insisting uh, with a sound event or something um, on how they want that to go. Okay, okay. So they kind of give, aside from, I mean, does that really impact uh, the trustworthiness of the work? I know a lot of people, you know, I've met so many people, you have KJV only, and then you have uh, absolutely no NIV. And no, yeah, no, I, I don't think it figures in because once you set your policies at the beginning, like when Tyndale set its policies with the New Living Translation to be a to, to be generous with thought by thought, phrase by phrase, once you set the policies or if Zondervan wants to have a gender inclusive, uh, whatever said at the beginning, um, I think um, it just goes straight through. Okay, okay. So yeah, I know I was listening to it was a it was a class I was listening from Bill Mounts. I think a lot of people know him for teaching Greek, and he had said that every that, that every translation that we have for the most part is trustworthy. He said that you know there's not really a hidden agenda by anybody to try to create. I agree. Weird. And I, I agree. So I definitely want to make sure that people understand that. And, uh, but yeah. he said that every, every translator or translating team kind of has a philosophy. Well, I, with this addition, the more you go into the continuum of paraphrase, for example, the NIV on a scale of zero to 10, this is not definitive, but let's just say that on literalness, zero to 10, 10 being the most literal you can be, like with the gloss in a interlinear translation word for word, that being a 10. If the NIV is a six, say, of literalness, the NLT would be a four. And if you go up the ladder, the Berean would take it up a notch, up seven. ESV would be eight. NAS would be nine in that continuum. The message would be two, way on the, uh, deliberately not strongly literal. Right. And in that continuum, I think the translators are, are faithful to that according to their starter policies. But I, I will say this, that when you compare translations, the essentially literal translations are going to be quite in tight agreement. You compare a KJV with a new KJV or an RSV or an RV or an ASV, NAS, you know, ESV, they're going to, they're not going to depart much from each other. They're distinctive enough to have their own copyright, but they're right, they're right in step with each other. You find that the spread differential becomes much greater with dynamic translations and much, much greater with full paraphrases. So you're really opening the door for a lot of interpretive breadth. The more you move into the, or in this case, the literalness was going higher. As you lower the number and the literalness on that continuum, you are going to have, wow, I just read this verse in three different paraphrase you know, efforts and uh, shooey, do I have the same Bible? But you're not going to get that with a side by side with the essentially literal translations. And that's why Berean was always committed 
to staying closely inside of that acceptable, consistent, tight range to preserve that, but with added readabilities and you know and clarity for style. So, are there any words that are like non-negotiables? with mm -hmm. with making it more reader friendly because that's one thing i've always wondered is are there certain terms words that uh should oh, never yeah. be changed well take for example wayne grudem the famous professor from trinity he didn't feel he could trust the niv because when it comes to words like son and child in the bible women are posited as sons and men are called the bride of christ so you have to get on the spiritual plane here. <laughs> and because when you take and you drop sons and always make a child and only sons could inherit in Greco-Roman antiquity, you do lose something about the biblical doctrine of inheritance and glorification when you drop sons and just make it, make it children. Children stresses dependence the care for the heavenly father. And if you, so in order to be gender cautious and whatnot, uh, I would agree with Wayne Grudem that these are non-negotiables because they impact theology. Right. Right. And more specific to the, the cultural context that was written in. Well, th this is a whole wide open subject as to how much you can <laughs> wave the cultural wand Okay. To change, to change the core meanings of the terms, Berean was not into changing core meanings uh, in an effort to second guess how different members of a postmodern society might be thinking. Uh, in its in its commitment to readability, it did not go into uh, switching sons to children and things like that. It's. Uh, it wanted to retain the full flavor and consistency of essentially literal translations. But again, with, with a um, stylistic improvement and a sense of uh, readability that anticipates where you might get reader confusion. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So with, with the Brian study Bible, I've heard that most translations, they have teams of people that work together. Uh, how many people, how, how, how does that structure work? Like did one person interpret Genesis? Did a couple people interpret Genesis? How does that actually practically work with translating? See, in our case, what was different, um, you know, my mentor, Gleason Archer, was a full-term translator on both the NIV and the NAS, New American Standard. And as you pointed out, they appointed Old Testament teams and New Testament teams and teams and the NIV had at least five steps that it went through on cross-pollination between the committees. The NAS had a step less. But um, the Brian purposely sidestepped that deliberately because it was never going to go outside the lines of consensus within the full array of respected, essentially literal translations. So our committees came in on was to make sure that when we were moving towards that readability factor, or again, if we thought there might be reader confusion on something, then the Hebrew people or the Greek people, we would come in at that level on that point of question. But basically rolling up our sleeves and starting from scratch was deliberately not the objective. Um, and one of the reasons is the, um, how do I say this graciously since I'm, I've been in the seminary <laughs> ethos for decades. When you encourage seminary dissertations, doctoral dissertations to challenge the status quo in research, there's a nobility to that, but you're also opening up the door to be lone rangers getting out off, off, off the established reservation, you might say. And then when these people get their degrees, with their PhD dissertation with a certain point of view that departs from traditional views and you get your translators that are mainly in that direction, you're going to get a lot of fresh, but 
and innovative stuff, but you're also going to be moving away from those moorings. We didn't want to do that deliberately and on purpose. We just wanted to uptick, upgrade, you know, to ensure comprehension in a modern language world. So yeah. we just came at it from a whole different angle on purpose. Uh, I want to ask you this question. Uh, some people are going to think this is a strange question. How important is it to have a translator have the Holy Spirit? So can a non-Christian interpret <laughs> Christian manuscripts? Or, 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 or do you? Or what's your opinion on it? Yeah, well, there, there is two levels to your question, um, Jason. To begin with, theoretically, a pagan can be an esteemed translator of the Bible. For example, a lot of people like the Thayer lexicon in Greek. Well, he was a universalist. He was a um, Unitarian. And he was very faithful to the German edition when he translated it. He did not in, try to inject his theology. He didn't attack the Trinity or anything else. Now that said, there's another level here on the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, you do have interpretive potential with words and phrases. There's more than one way to translate a term with semantic range. And so theology does impact translation. I think every honest translator is going to say that when you have interpretive options and you take a famous phrase like faith in God, well, the Greek typically is faith of or from God. So if your theology is that faith is always divinely imparted it's something received not just humanly generated then you would you would approve of the phrase faith from god instead of faith in god which is a english idiom what could be misunderstood that it's i make faith and give it to god i i i have to i have to manufacture faith by not doubting so you have these cases where the, you know, theology does come into play. I don't know of a translator friend that would doubt <laughs> that, but you don't, you don't put on those spectacles and enforce one's particular brand of theology. Um, and that's why committees uh, help make it safe. So are there usually different, I guess, uh, are, are people involved in translating the Bible? And, and, you know, I know you can only speak for the, the what you've been involved in, but are there different theological people with theological slants, I guess, for a lack of better word or theological backgrounds that take part in translating for that reason? For obviously for, you know, you have people, the, the complete sovereignty of God, which would fall more on the line of faith from God. But then you'd have people really dedicated to the theology of free will, which would be faith in God. Uh, do, you, do you do translating groups have a balance of that? Or does that, uh, is that really not a discussion that's kind of mentioned? Well, you, you take, for example, when um, the backers of the ESV uh, came along and they got a hold of the RSV, they wanted to make minimal changes. Some feel there's only maybe a, a 2% difference between the ESV and the RSV. But you had a lot of reform scholars working on the ESV. So when you get to Romans 5.12 on original sin, um, then the, uh, there's going to be a pious but reformed um, direction. And, and I, you know, and understandably so. I mean, you know, in the case of the NAS, you had to sign an inerrantist statement to even work on that translation. Mm. A full-blown a full uh, commitment to biblical inerrancy. 
not just infallibility. Right. With other translations, not so. But, you know, I'd like to say, Jason, that whoever heads up committee never overly influences things, but <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's in the nature of the beast. And this is why having a, a comparison of translations uh, is so good. The, um, I use paraphrases all the time. I'm a real fan of the NLT, but I don't use it as my primary text. I use it as a commentary. Yeah. And uh, or the message and so forth. But my primary text is always going to be an essentially literal translation. Not all would agree with that, but that would be uh, I use this whole plethora of translations all the time. But um, mainstay is an essentially literal translation. That is, for those wondering how to define that, that it's form oriented. It's a formal equivalence word for word, whereas the other view says I think when we translate something thought by thought and phrase by phrase, we better capture the original meaning. And that way we avoid overly literal wooden renderings. So it's, you have to know what, you know, each one's faithful to their translation policy. So you need to know the policies driving the translation. In the case of BSB, while not one of the more literal translations, um, Again, if that zero to 10 is the literalness, um, BSB at, at the most is gonna be a seven. Not as literal as ESV, not as, and, and ESV not as literal as NAS. NAS, NAS not as literal as a interlinear gloss uh, translation. But in the case of BSB, it was not going to get into uh, opening the door for uncharacteristic or outside the bounds translation parameters for the sake of freshness or impact. Gotcha. Uh, it's very, very faithful to that. Yeah. That so, so I wanted to look at the, um, wanted to bring up Bible hub. Uh, it's a great resource. Uh, I would recommend everybody check out Bible hub and, um, so, you know, one of the, you know, you have a, a list here at the top, you have NIV, NLT, uh, then BSB. And there's also a, uh, is it a more literal translation of the BSB? Yes, yes. In fact, the full uh, literal edition of Brian we hope to have out in the next, you know, in a year or so. Yes. Okay. So I, I I was switching between them last night, kind of looking through, and I uh, and and I noticed that BSB is very close to the NIV, but it does feel. I don't know of another way to put it. Uh, it feels more. It feels less. I don't know. I can't really put my finger on it, but I I could tell a slight difference. Uh, and, and I did uh, I did enjoy reading what I read from the BSB. And so, but, uh, so as well, far as less free, less free, less free in the sense. Yeah. It'll be less free in the sense. It's not going, go, it's not going to go into dynamic reinterpretations of phrases for the sake of clarity, right. but rather going to keep clarity and style in mind within the policies that would govern an essentially literal translation. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so right now, I know everybody can access the BSB on BibleHub.com. Um, and you also have the website Berean Study Bible or BereanBibles.com. Yes. So I know, uh, <laughs> so Aaron had asked me, Aaron told me after y'all's conversation that he had a lot more other questions, <laughs> which generally is what happens after we finish up an interview. Uh, I know because I had the same I had the same situation myself. Anytime I've interviewed somebody, as soon as the interview was done, I was like, "Oh, that would have been a great question." <laughs> but uh, as far as the the styles of the the physical rendering of the Bible, uh, are y'all going to go into anything different, uh, kind of different dynamics of it, or is it kind of where it's at? Uh, is it? Do, do, do you mean on the print Bible now? Yes. Yes. Yeah, there is a second printing 
now of the Berean, and it does have some changes. The text is the same, and you can get the new one right off of uh, Bible Hub. And you're right, Bible Hub is a tremendous source. You know, there's three million pages of resource, free resource, that covers the entire gamut. Original language, great rollout on commentaries, gazetteer, maps. It just goes on and on uh, from a ser for sermons. Uh, it's, it's just incredible. And I think it's the second largest, most visited uh, website, Christian website in the world. And I think he gets roughly two and a half million hits a day and as a testament to its usefulness. The, um, but yeah, the new physical Bibles have got some adaptations based on user input that make it even all the, the first one was beautiful to begin with. And, but this uh, next one is um, just a little handier and even more attractive. Yeah, so here's the ones that, for anybody who's curious here on the website, uh, I really like that light brown uh, soft cover. I'm a fan of that. Um, so what, one question that I would have being that uh, I do a lot of different types of Bible studies and, and things like that is, uh, so Berean Study Bible, this doesn't mean like a study Bible with additional notes and commentary on the bottom. Is that correct? Yeah, the reason it was called the Berean Study Bible was two levels. The first level is we were modeling after the Bereans in the book of Acts that made sure things were so. Sticking right to the form-based, true-to-form rendering of the text and not departing into a lot of conjecture for the sake of reader impact or freshness or that sort of thing, uh, but just faithfulness, fidelity. Second reason it's called the uh, Brian Study Bible is that as you show it on Bible Hub, it is digitally linked where each word is interactive with immense study resources. Right now, you go to the page and you can get to a lexicon, you get to a concordance, you can get to um, a breakdown of the things that the NES did with it and so forth. But rolling out this next year, there's just going to be more and more. In fact, all of the stuff on Bible Hub is going to be smoothly linked as a study Bible digitally to the Berean study Bible with code and with app and just all those things. So it's a multi-year vision, but it's going to be, it's, it's a choo-choo train with a locomotive with incredible number of cars behind it for study. Awesome. Awesome. Now uh, I do want to jump into the, the discovery Bible. Uh, it's another project you, you worked on. Um, can you talk a little bit about yes. that? Discovery Bible seeks to add three chief things for the daily Bible reader. Uh, first of all, let's talk about emphasis. We're used to making a word emphatic by giving a, like a boldness to it or an italics or on an email or underlining it in a personal letter. But the, the original text of the Bible, Hebrew and Greek, they did it through word order uh, mainly. So whenever something was emphatic by word order, the modern reader misses that. And it makes a difference if I say, I think Jason can, with emphasis on I think Jason or can. Listen to the difference. I think Jason can. I think Jason can. I think Jason can. I think Jason can. <laughs> so we don't want to miss where the stress is in the original text. So whenever you see the color highlighted words in a russet red color, um, it's making it, it's just dropped on a, an unaltered a New American Standard. So you can know at a glance where those pivot points are. The second window from the original text in Greek and Hebrew, the Discovery Bible does that you don't find commonly anywhere, is the marvelous verb system that conjures a action rendition on the canvas of the mind, the, 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 the ancient languages of the Bible are not behind modern ones. They're very sophisticated. They're not like Egyptian hieroglyphs or something. Hebrew and Greek used in the Old and New Testaments is are, got a deep, very sophisticated verbal system. You have a complete 
parts of speech, exact spellings, um, full uh, use of concord where they agree in number and gender all between the words and their modifiers. I mean, th th these are, this is top notch. And so we show where verb tenses and very other forms of verb turns that create a mental motion picture as to how the action plays out. It's just marvelous. And so we've used symbols to mark those off so that the anyone can see that without having to learn one word of Hebrew or Greek. Then the third thing is that um, you can click on the words and um, near synonyms particularly are differentiated. And there's a 7,000 page lexicon using a thousand different reference works in there. It's a massive work where um, an illustration I've used before, but would, would Biden like to be called a slender statesman or a scrawny politician? He's slightly underweight, so I think he'd prefer slender to scrawny. And, he, and he'd rather be known as a statesman than a wheel of deal politician. And so the overtones of terms are very important. The Discovery Bible devotes its lexicons to bring out these shades of meaning. So there's tens of thousands of discoveries that you can make by reading through Hebrew and Greek eyes with the Discovery Bible without changing the NAS at all. We just dropped this grid on with color highlighting symbols. And so you can, you can read through those original eyes. Yeah, and there's a lot of great tools up here. You know, you got the concordance, you have, uh, you have some commentaries in here. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's it's pretty packed. <laughs> so I do like that. So the prophecy, how does the, uh, how does the prophecy section work? Yeah, you know, one out of six verses in the Bible was prophetic at the time it was given, one out of six. Huh. And while most of them have been fulfilled, lot yet to be fulfilled, but many, many that have been, we uh, we put dates with a beginning and end bracket so that a person knows how their prophecy was fulfilled. For example, in the exploits of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, many of the verses were fulfilled concerning Israel's neighbors. The same with the exploits of Alexander the Great. And uh, we mark these off and we have 37 keys we call it they cover over 90 percent of all bible long-range predictions and this way the reader can see at a glance what normally takes a lot of spade work and commentary to see the marvelous nature of fulfilled prophecy and then also to cue on what's yet to happen so if anybody goes to the discoverybible.com or discoverybible.com either uh, to our website there's a lot of tutorials and videos they have to, to work their way through it, and they can download the whole thing right away. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, I, I haven't had a whole lot of time to, to mess with it. I'm going to use it this week whenever I'm prepping for my John Bible study. And uh, so I'm going to give it a test run and see how it is. And um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. And, and I know, like like Aaron, I'm going to get my BSB and start uh, – using that as part of my Bible study resource as well. And so uh, oh, I, I think they have something that reliably rolls out the best consensuality of essentially literal translations with high readability, smoothness, good style. That's uh, really a valuable contribution. So I was glad to work on it. Yeah. Well, I know a lot of people are going to appreciate it if they, uh, they get their hands on it. and Because like I said, it's very close to the NIV. Is, is the BSB gender neutral or is it gender specific? Oh, my goodness. It's, uh, again, you would never find an essentially literal translation other than gender specific. And so the, um, that's part of the faithfulness, you know, the fidelity that the translator has. So to answer your question, BSB is... Uh, gender specific and where you've got, th there are a couple of terms like anthropos in Greek 
anthropology we get from that term for mankind. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean only males. So in the rare exception where a term is referring to both men and women for mankind, um, the, the the BSB is sensitive. But when it comes to um, to all things related to God and so forth, it's um, not only does it capitalize all the pronouns related to deity, which is a nice reading help, yeah. but uh, always faithful to uh, the way the gender is in the original text. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of those things are very important. The capitalization on the, especially for kind of newer Bible study or, or newer students of the Bible, that capitalization helps a lot. Whenever you're looking at spirit with the small S spirit with the large S or capital S. And uh, so that's very helpful. And I know... that, that's, a, that's a good, that's a good case in point. And, and when it comes to the word that you're just bringing up in Elma in Greek for spirit, the, um, it is sometimes translated lowercase s uh, when it's of the Holy Spirit, of course, capital S. But there are a good handful of occasions, such as in Romans 8, where it's contrasted with flesh and there are, um, there's interpretive room, whether it is talking about the spirit of the matter or the Holy Spirit driving it. Yeah. So I was looking here at um, at John twenty one, and I know I think you had mentioned this to Aaron, and I love how you you specify feed my lambs separate from shepherd my sheep separate from feed my sheep because I know so many other translations they just say feed my sheep feed my sheep feed my sheep they just repeat the same thing. And so that's one thing that I do like about this translation is there you're showing the the nuance there, even in general, easy to use words. You know, I have friends on both sides of the aisle when it comes to translating that John twenty one passage, and <laughs> when when you ask why you reduce it down to the same term when there are different Greek terms, the reply is. I've studied the style of John and in Johannine literature, I just feel that they refer to the same thing, but it, it, it's a subjective feeling. It is uh, the Greek text is, you know, it has distinct terms and I'm glad that BSB is committed to that. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, you know, just for anybody who, who didn't know this and you're watching this and you haven't heard this being taught before, the love that Jesus is saying and the love that Peter's saying in those first two are definitely different. So just a little study tidbit for anybody out there who doesn't know that. Um, yeah, so uh, again, uh, Mr. Hill, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Uh, there's, there's other components to the Berean Bible study that was talked about in uh, Mr. Hill's interview with Aaron Simpkins on a True Strength Life podcast. So I will link that interview with this one because I feel like, you know, y'all talked about a lot of other things over there. Uh, I definitely wanted to jump into a lot of the, uh, the issues that I brought up tonight because I, I just, well, you're a good host. You're, you're a good host and an easy interviewer to follow. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I've been doing interviews for about four years now. I took a small break, but, uh, I'm back at it and enjoying it. And naturally, naturally, whenever I'm trying to jump back into what my equipment wants to fail on me. So my, I'm using my computer webcam and my computer microphone. So this isn't the best quality as in, I guess, produced interview. But I feel like the content has been here and content is king when it comes to interviews. And, and I appreciate you for, uh, for your dedication. Uh, so you said you've dedicated half your life to this? Well, 50 years, so I'm not 100 yet, but... Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. okay. So, <laughs> so, out of curiosity, I, I had, what... I... Sorry, go ahead. No, no. I, I was just going to say I what... I talk about my old age anytime. Go ahead. <laughs> now, I was just going to ask you, what got you interested in being a student of the Word? Uh, what what drove that in you at such a early age? Well, I, I started pastoring early, 
and I had these faithful folks coming out back in the day when you had three services a week and people came to all three. That was true in the 70s. And I, I lacked the variety and depth that I wanted to have to feed the flock. And these folks faithfully come out wanting to hear the depths of the word of God and all of its freshness. And studying only from translation limited me. So that began my, my journey. So did you jump into Hebrew or Greek first? Well, I, I did them hand in hand. Okay. And um, and they they, they do, um, yeah, a very rough analogy could be Hebrew speaks like a compass and Greek like a map. Hmm. And Hebrew expects the intuition of the reader to be alert, turned on and following more so than Greek that has more forms and it got a more detailed form of expression, not one better than the other, not one even more exact than the other, but um, a different approach. So the New Testament is ideal for the exact doctrines of you know, Christology and all those things that go where you need a whole plethora of prepositions and conjunctions and ways to make long sentences and stretching it out with participles and all the things that Greek does so naturally and beautifully. But in the meaning packed narratives that are visceral and grab you by the gut in the Psalms and everything, Hebrew is the perfect language for it. So each to its own task. Yeah. I told my wife, I really, really am, am uh, wanting to learn Greek and Hebrew a lot more so now than ever before. Uh, just because of this day and age, you know, there's so many people that say, well, the Greek really means this and the Hebrew here really means that. And I look at, I had a, uh, so I just started my Gospel of John Bible study on YouTube. And the very first video had a long comment, 25 points from a Jehovah Witness. And <laughs> which, you know, John 1, obviously someone's going to jump in with some Jehovah Witness theology but one of the things that they were talking about was that the same word used for angel in Daniel was the word used for Prince of Peace in Isaiah. So Jesus was really an angel. And he was saying the Hebrew here means this. But when you look up the what that word could mean, there's like, I don't know, eight options or so. And they just happen to well, choose say, that one word. Yeah, let's, let, let's say John 1.1. 1, 1. If you say that Biden is president. President is the predicate nominative form and yeah, like an equal sign. So when it says on the word is God, you have a predicate nominative in Greek. You have a nominative case in each instance. Well, the word hologos is got the article, huh? But theos does not is the predicate nominative. So the Job's witnesses say, because it doesn't have the definite article, um, it's a God. Jesus was a amongst others of celestial beings and not truly, not genuine second person of the Holy Trinity, full deity. However, that's such an ignorance of the Greek language as all translators know, when you take the predicate nominative, this in this case, Theos, and you bring it up all the way on the front of the clause to stress that he's God, God is the word, instead of God, instead of the word is God, you bring it all the way up. The predicate nominative has to lose the article. It has to drop to accommodate its emphatic position at the beginning. So to say it's A as an indefinite, because it lacks the article, is just a uh, truly a blatant ignorance of the language and it's it's a case where their their non-evangelical non-christian theology controls their new world translation yeah that's another reason why i want to study it because there's so many different nuances to the language and a lot of what you said in this interview about participles and, and all these other big uh, <laughs> uh words i think the average Bible reader has no idea what that is. And so, uh, you know, going back to the Discovery Bible and I think a lot of the resources here in Bible Hub, uh, 
can be helpful for those who are interested in studying more. And uh, so, yeah. Um, so, if you're looking to brush up on your Hebrew, we started up a ministry called KingdomHopeCommunity.com. KingdomHopeCommunity.com, and you'll see that you can take a course there in Hebrew that we've done. Um, uh, um, someone from Israel and myself did that one. And then you can also take a course on the Bible's literature with Leland Riken, who's um, world famous in the area of the Bible's literature. So go to uh, kingdom, kingdomhopecommunity.com and um, they'll help you out some. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. I had to look it up so I don't forget to look it up. So <laughs> I got a bad habit of that. If I don't have a notepad and I'm not looking at things directly, at least if I bring it up while somebody mentions it, it's in my That's browser it. history. So I'm going to definitely check that out. I appreciate that that help as well, and uh, I'll check that out. So, Mr. Gary, before we let you go, uh, is there any last-minute words you'd like to say to those who were just yeah. wanting to dig into the Word, who are passionate about knowing what the Bible says? Uh, what are some words of encouragement for them? The only place you can go to to know the voice of God with full infallibility, without error, with inerrancy, is the God-breathed-out scriptures. We, um, we're treating ourselves beyond description. When we take the time each day, offer up our day, get in the Word of God, give priority time to letting it soak into our souls, and thankfully, with things like the Brilliant Study Bible and Bible Hub and so many wonderful resources we still enjoy, oh, could one ever be more wise in their own enlightened self-interest than to make it a priority to search out the Word of God the way the Brilliants did? Truly, really. Absolutely. And, uh, and if anybody doesn't know what Berean is, just look it up. Um, they, they studied behind Paul's teachings to make sure what he was teaching was true. Yeah. And I hope that everybody's pastor treats them like Bereans and says, hey, go and research what I'm saying and make sure I'm teaching the truth. Well said. So... Well, until next time, sir, thank you so much for your dedication to, uh, to getting us this uh, Berean Study Bible. Uh, I hope you have a great evening, and uh, bless you in all your, your I'm going to say many other ventures, because I know you still have a lot of work for the kingdom to get done while you're here. And thank you for your good, helpful interviewing. Absolutely.